for you, Summers. Good evening. My name is Rosie, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Ryan, for inviting me again. I was sick last time I was supposed to come, and I just appreciate it. I, uh, this is a privilege to come behind the podium and talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. It is the coolest thing, right. right? You know, to come and tell you guys what it's done for me. My sobriety date is July 5th of 1992. I am 31. I feel like I am about three years sober. <laughs> I am 60 years old. I feel like I'm 15. <laughs> um, the good thing about the whole thing is that somewhere along the way, it kind of balances off. It's kind of cool to feel young and, and to be this old because you know a couple of things. Uh, I don't, I no longer think I know it all like I did when I was 15. Um, my sponsor's name is Pat Y. Uh, it's a new sponsor. I just lost my sponsor about three months ago. She's uh, the longest sponsor I had. She sponsored me for 17 years. Um, the sponsor prior to that sponsored me for nine years. And the sponsor prior to that sponsored me for about five you know, years. And then my first sponsor, all of them has passed away with the exception of my first sponsor. So Pat is on the lookout. She, she's like, yeah. <laughs> My home group is Monday night at 7.30. It's Bellflower Big Book Group. Uh, it is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I love my home group. Uh, you feel the electricity from the moment you walk in. They have taught me everything that's decent about me. And I've learned it in that home group. They've taught me how to get you know, to you on time. They've taught me how to dress up and how to clean my mouth behind the podium. Uh, they've taught me how to put away my phone in the meeting. Oh my, it's like, what the hell? I'm not bothering anybody, you know? But they say that I'm disrupting the people that are trying to listen is what they said, you know? I'm like, whatever. I've been like, whatever most of my life, you guys. I, I, I've, I have a feeling I'm gonna be all over the place. And I'm going to tell you why. The in-laws are in the house. <laughs> and they've never heard my story. Oh. And, and it's, it's the in-laws in the family, not, not so much my husband, but, you know, it's still the same thing. They, they don't know that, you know, I come from a background of being a whore, a drug addict, an alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, they, they, there is a story there. You know what I mean? It's like the next thing I know. I saw that and I'm going, oh crap, am I gonna have to tone down my story, you know? Called up my nephew real quick, you know? And he's like, no, Ace, you tell your story. And I'm like, okay, you know, call my sponsor, you tell your story. So, so you know, that's the disclaimer right there. Say no more. Um, so I, I'm gonna be all over the place. So if I leave a story untold, just call me up. You know, I'm, I'm an open book today. I have no secrets and I am very open with anybody that wants to know. I'm a byproduct of question asking. You know, I, I didn't know anything when I got to you guys. I was 29 years old when I got here and, uh, and I thought I knew it all. I didn't come to AA because I was an alcoholic. I, I didn't even know what alcoholism looked like. I thought I was a drug addict, but I had no idea that I suffered from alcoholism which it happens that alcoholism happens when you're not drinking 
And I didn't know that, you know, because when I'm not drinking, that's that's when I have a problem. When I'm drinking, I have no problems. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm having a good time. And even when it stopped being fun, I was still checked out. So I didn't care. My problem begins when I'm not drinking and I didn't know it. I came here because my brother got caught with a DUI. And I'm the youngest of seven. My mom had 11 kids. Latina people have a kid like every week. So (laughs) it's common. Um, I was smuggled into the States when I was 11 years old. You talk about feeling different. You know, I was different. I know this is on Zoom and I'm uh, in Laguna Beach, so I must say that I'm a U.S. citizen. (laughs) I know where I'm at. Shit, come on, boo. I'm just saying. Um, but I, ha- I had a tough time. My mom never remarried, and she was very poor at any given time. You know, we lived in downtown L.A. when I was 14 years old, and she babysat 12 kids in, in a one-studio apartment. And, and, you know, we had it tough. And I started drinking early on. I'm the youngest of seven. I drank with my siblings. It was accepted. I would be drunk. You know, my mom knew that I was drinking and it wasn't a big deal. You know, I've been working since I'm 14. So I've been, you know, contributing to the house all of my life. Looking back through inventories, I carried that like a chip on my shoulder. Like you can't say anything to me. You know, I'm I'm paying this bill. I'm doing this. Don't say anything to me. I got this, you know, and, and I've always carried that chip on my shoulder like I was better than. And uh, what happened with me is that um, I found drugs early on and I loved it. I mean, whatever you gave me, I did. I did never questioned anything, <laughs> you know, um, in the beginning, it was free. I had an overdose at the age of 19. And I can tell you that I didn't I put down the drugs between the ages of 19 to 25. I never put down alcohol. I never imagined that alcohol would be a problem in my life. My my entire family drinks and it was never a problem. I can see my brother being a drunk. You know, he was a falling down, dirty, pass out drunk, a fighter. I'm a lover, <laughs> you know, I'm not a fighter. And, and I don't bathe for days, but I wear perfume and red lipstick. Those are my uh, security blankets, you know, perfume and my red lipstick. And, you know, even though if you don't, you don't bathe, you wear perfume, I think that accounts for something. You know, I never really feel that, that crusty as he looked crusty. And so I, I started, you know, my first drunk was on my way to high school. It was 730 in the morning. My buddy Alex had a bottle of vodka. I didn't start drinking because my life was bad. You know, I started to drink because he passed me the bottle. You know, and I took, I got, I marked that as my first drunk, not my first drink, but my first drunk on my way to high school, 730 in the morning. And I can tell you that I'm one of those drunks that I not only love the effect produced by alcohol, but I like the taste of alcohol. I like hard liquor. I like how it's that, that little flavor thing in the mouthful. I like the warmth coming down. I like the explosion in the stomach. I like the warm feeling and just like everything, it's gonna be okay, I get chills. Um, and I like that effect. And I also like everything that goes with the drinking. I'm not a stay home drunk, I'm not a closet drunk. You know, I like people, I like to party, I like to have booze in the trunk of my car, I like going to disco dancing and salsa dancing and you know, carry the booze in the trunk of my car and we can have a party in the parking lot. Never went into the club, 
you know, I love hanging out in bathrooms. This is a nice big bathroom we got here. I, you know, and I know it sounds gross, but you know, there's a good party to be thrown in, in bathrooms, you know, and, and, um, and I had a blast, you guys, you know, I am in high school. I am starting ditching class because I worked. I've always scored my little diamond pot. I always carried on me. I, I found somebody to buy a bottle of, of vodka. I had it in my locker. I shared it with people, kind of popular in school. Not because I was, you know, in school, but I was popular because I had the goods. And I shared it with you because I wanted to be liked, you know. And um, what happened between the time that I wasn't enhancing my drinking is that I went to blackouts, you know. And, and I didn't know anything about blackouts. And I started coming to, and I had a car that drove me to different discos and, and nightclubs all by itself. I don't know if you guys had one of those, but on Wednesday nights, we'd go to the Quiet Cannon. On Thursday night, we'd go to the Grand. On Friday nights, we'd go to the Mayan. And on Sunday nights, we end up going to Stephen's Steakhouse religiously. People knew my name, okay, like cheers. And, and I loved it. I'm all about the ego. I'm all about the pride. I'm all about, you know, just getting it on. And, um, I, I had a blast. And uh, when you start losing time and you start blacking out, it's kind of scary because you come in, you come to in places that, you know, it's like, Jesus, you know, where am I? You know, and, and ooh, who is that? You know what I mean? It's like, because they're scary too, you know? And um, yeah, and so, yeah, some, some of them work, come on. And, um, and I got to tell you that my heart would go out of my chest. I wouldn't call anybody. I wouldn't, you know, want to know what happened or trying to piece anything that happened. I was just trying to brush off and clean up and just keep going, you know. And and so what happened at the age of 25, I believe through inventories that because I, because I continue to hang around with the same people in the same, you know, playground, I picked up drugs again at the age of 25. And between the ages of 25 to 29, you guys, Looking back, I look back as that being my bottom. And I know we talk a lot about bottoms here, you know. I like to welcome all the newcomers, those who identify and those who didn't, all the chip takers. I hope you get to hear something tonight that'll keep you coming back. But if not, go to more meetings. I got I got I hope I get to tell you exactly how I became alcoholic in the rooms of AA, because I didn't come to you knowing that I was. And it is very important for you to know if you belong here. You know, for a while before COVID in my home group, we were having a lot of overdoses. We, we mean well, you know, we wanna help everybody, you know, and, and if the, the traditions are very clear, if you say you're an alcoholic, you know, we can't say any different, you know, you, you're an alcoholic when you say you are, but it's very important for you to find out if you are, you know, because if you're not, there's other places where you guys can go and hear your, your song where you guys can hear the language of the spirit, the language of the heart. If you happen to be alcoholic, you know, hold on. You're, you're in for the biggest ride of your life, you know, and, and uh, we have a solution here. You know, we have these beautiful traditions. You know, this thing started in 1935, you guys, 1935, and there hasn't been that many changes to the book. The same old 165 pages still getting people sober today. You know, that is something to be said right there. You know, Bill was only four years sober when he wrote the book. This is why we, we always say it's spiritually inspired, you know, when he wrote the book. You know, we've been getting we've been gathering, you know, since 1939. It, well, 1935 is when Bill went and carried the message to Bob. 
you know, but AA didn't start right away. We didn't have a book until 1939. We didn't have the traditions until 1951. You know, the, the group started, you know, all together. People got pissed off in the meetings. They started other meetings. And this is how we do it. You know, the, the fourth tradition of autonomy is one of my favorite traditions because as a group, and I heard you guys are getting together here for your group conscience and your committee meeting pretty soon, where you guys get to decide how you want to run your meeting. You know, and if you are an active member of this group, you can attend that business meeting and make changes, changes that you want to have you know, more structure, less structure, you know, this is, it's a great deal the way we do here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so let me go back to where I was drunk. <laughs> Squirrel. And, um, and so here I am, you know, and, and I am in this, in the midst of hitting this bottom. And what it looked like to me is I shacked up with a drug dealer guy that I had, you know, met rather quickly. The guy was ugly, okay? I, I want to say that. My sponsor wants me to stop saying that, but he was. The guy could not even dance, okay? I mean, you talk, and he was married. Oh. Oh. Loser, you know, <laughs> over here, you know? And what happened is that I, I fell in love with the drugs. It felt like I fell in love with him, and, and I quickly hit a bottom. I quickly became addicted, you know, quickly. So I was 25 years old. I was not the same as I was when I was 19 and 20, you know, when I was younger. And, um, and times change, you know, you guys talk about this disease being progressive, you know, and, and for me, it was, I went down the, the, the hole rather quickly. And, you know, he moved in and he was in and out of my life, you know, because he would go back to his wife and I became that girl that. So when the big book says, you know, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, I didn't have to look that up. I knew exactly what that was, you know, for me. I became that person, even though I don't come from a family like that. You know, my mom did her very best to bring us up in the best way she knew how. We, my family is not people that go to jail, you know, we're kind of like normal people. We drink, we create, you know, a little havoc and stuff, but we're not, you know, desmadrosos is like we used to call it, you know, we're not like troublemakers per se, you know what I mean? And um, and so when, when I started hanging out with this crowd, you know, I, I became ashamed and I kind of divorced my family. I didn't want to go to family gatherings because I felt like they can tell who I'd become. I felt like they can read, you know, drunk, drug addict, you know, I, I felt like they can see through me, you know, and I was ashamed and full of guilt. And I remember that I was afraid of having a beer or two with them, you know, because I didn't know what was going to happen after a couple of drinks. I became unpredictable to myself. And that's scary, a scary spot to be on, you know, because it, you know, people that you know, that are ugly, you know, you know, that they're predictable, you know, what they're going to be doing. But when you become unpredictable to yourself, like, I don't know, like, I need another drink, I'm going to need to, you know, enhance that I need to go in front of my family. It was kind of weird, a weird feeling for me. And so I stopped attending gatherings. And when you come from a big family, there's gatherings all the time, like I said, and, you know, it was, um, it got uncomfortable for me. And, and, um, and this man was in and out and, and uh, the fun kind of stopped, you know, and um, one time he left, I ran out of money and, and I moved back to my sister's house. But before that happened, my brother got that DUI and it was a Sunday 
I knew it was his Sunday because I ended up at Stephen's Steakhouse. And, and my, my brother had brought back some alcohol from my country. I had just gotten back from Ecuador and I got back, I brought back some sugar cane syrupy, that thick alcohol, right? I mean, I, I share this and my glands me into water from like back here. I mean, this is how, how I know how nuts I am. And we started drinking since noontime and my brother got up to leave at 9.30 p.m. And I don't think that my brother is not okay to drive, you know, because he was drunk. But, you know, my mother always said he drove better when drinking, you know. And he got up to leave at 9.30 and he totaled the van on the 101 and the 5 freeway. And he went to jail and my sister went to pick, to pick him up out of jail. And it was $500 at the time. This is November of 1991. And then he calls me up the next morning. I, you know, gone back from, from clubbing. And he said, you know, would you help me go pick up my van? You know, and I said, sure. You know, and we came home with the backseat of the van and 50 bucks. I looked at the van and I looked at my brother and I couldn't believe how he walked away from that wreckage. You know, the van was completely destroyed. And my brother walked away with the burnt seat from the seatbelt and a swollen chin from that wheel coming up. He hit the center divider, hit the wall on the right, hit the center divider again and ended up on the right hand side without hitting anybody about 10 o'clock at night, you know, one and one and the five. And um, he got sentenced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And by this time, I've lost every decent job that I've ever had in my life. I'm working in downtown LA at a hostess ballroom place where men come in to pay to dance with women there at night. And my job was to hire the women that work there at night. And, uh, and my job was from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I score my dope in that place. I call it the dungeon. It's still there. It's in downtown LA. It's on 7th and Hill. You know, it's underground, the carpet sticks to your feet and the fine smell of pine soul is in the air. And that's where I was, you know, after being in college, you know, graduated college, you know, a bookkeeper by trade. And that's where I ended up. That's where I was. And, and, you know, now looking back, this is all but for the grace of God. And, you know, we talk about seconds and inches here, you know, because if I would have been working corporate, if I would have been working in, in a cubicle, if I would have been working anywhere else, I wouldn't have been able to pick up the phone. My brother started going to the morning attitude adjustment meeting and he called me. He called me, not, not for anything else, but because I could answer the phone. And he would call me and start telling me about you. And you know how you are when we're new, right? You ask a newcomer how they're doing and you know, once in a while they come up for air and then you know, and they keep going, you know, and, and so, and he had my time and my ear and he started telling me how my dad had kids from other women and, and how he died of alcoholism and how he felt when he drank and how he passed out and all the blackouts. And, you know, he just started and I'm on the other end of the phone and I'm drinking and I'm using, I want to tell him, get something in there, you know, I want to tell him where I'm at, you know, with this guy, I'm, I'm dealing drugs, I'm using every day, I'm drinking every day. I'm drinking in the morning by this time. And, you know, and it's like the words don't come out. I don't know about you guys, but I am not used to telling people my business, especially family, especially family. You never say anything to the family because it always comes back. And so it's like, I'm not saying anything. And so, you know, my, and my brother started telling all this stuff and then, you know, he went to his second meeting and then he said, you know, I'm looking for somebody to sign my court card. Would you be interested? I'm going to pay you. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but I like the word pay. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I, didn't, I had no idea. My brother tells the story because I don't even remember talking to him. 
But by the third meeting you had him and my brother became your biggest cheerleader and he started telling me all about it. Morning attitude adjustment meeting, call me up every every day, Monday through Friday, telling me about you, you know, and, and God, 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 eh, eh. God, God, eh, eh. I mean, we're Catholics. <laughs> we know God. Yeah. We never, ever miss Palm Sunday, yeah. ever, <laughs> you know? We, we are there once a year, you know, and um, and we started calling him Brother Mario, you know. He would walk in from one door with elbow, we're all girls, you know, we'd laugh at him and, you know, he, he was just nuts. He came home and gave us all big books. <laughs> nuts, nuts, but he had me. He had my attention. He had my time because I was at work and I could answer the phone. So I would talk to him. You know, this is where God sneaks in sometimes. This is where he works his mysterious ways, you know, because we don't know. I'm not fixing to be sober. I'm not, I don't have any problems with alcohol. I can no longer make downtown L.A. to uh, Downey. I lived in Old River School in Florence. It's only 20 minutes away and I could never make the 20 minute drive without, you know, pulling on the side of the freeway to get a hit or to get whatever it is that I was doing. You know, I mean, this is how I lived already. And, and I never thought anything of it. And so then my brother um, took a trip. He says, you know, before I leave, you, you had to go check out meetings of AA. You're going to love AA. I'm just like, what the hell? You know, it's like, love AA. Go give me a break. He says, when you go to a meeting, go to the literature table. Thank you, whoever set this up. Thank you for the people that have commitments in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, because you guys got here early to make coffee and set the water and set all this stuff up for us, you know, and, and I came to you guys not needing to be here. I didn't come here because I needed to be here. You, the doctor's opinion describes me well. I came in in full flight from reality. I came in as a mental outright defective is what it calls me. It calls me out by name. Um, when I read those things, I'm thinking you guys are, you know, too exaggerated. That's those are really big words. Come on. Alcohol became my master. Come on. That's a little bit of a dramatics here, you know, but I mean, isn't that true? Isn't that true for me? Looking back, alcohol was my master, not only at the end, but alcohol was my master all throughout, all throughout. Yeah, I maybe was not on the street selling my body, but I was in bars. I was in bars exchanging drinks and ha, 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 having a good time. And all I wanted to do was check out, you know, and I didn't know this. In high school, I wanted to check out. All throughout my life, if I am, if I am honest, alcohol was my master all of my life. And... Um, you know, I work with a lot of newcomers and I'm constantly telling my story. And sometimes when I think about how I used to be and how I lived, it's pretty sad. You know, we, we saw, you know, make fun of it sometimes, but it's pretty sad. You know, if you take your own inventory and ask yourself where you were the last month before getting here, you know, um, anyway, um, he, um, I came back home. I came back home uh, completely defeated. My, my brother told me about the literature table and I came to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I don't know how I got there. I don't know if I called 411 or I looked up the yellow pages, but I found myself in a meeting called the Second Chance Meeting in Downey. It was a Tuesday night. I came in with my uh, 
leather miniskirt and my high thigh boots, my little tube top. By this time, I'm drinking hard liquor. I've always loved hard liquor. Love the way it feels, the taste, the burn, everything. But beer back. So I've been drinking beer back 24-7. And I came in with my little tube top, and I'm bloated 165 pounds, you know, because when you drink beer 24-7, you're going to be a little chubby, you know what I mean? And I have no chin, okay? My chin, I have no neck. I look like a bullfrog, you know, and and then I look down and I have no toenails due to malnutrition. And this is before acrylics. OK, I always say that's a vision for you, you know. Um, and um, but I was going to go dancing because, you know, when your house is on fire, you're going to go dancing. Remember, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not like you people. I'm only there to see what you guys are doing to my brother. That's, that's under the disguise. That, that was the thing that, that God utilized me. I came in and my brother said, go to the literature table and get a directory. And I came in and I gave Marguerite after the meeting $5 for the directory in 1992. Because I knew you poor people needed the money. And uh, she started laughing. She says, it's free for you, honey. Are you new? And I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. But I took the directory and I looked at the following Tuesday. Even though it has seven days. I keyed in on the Tuesday and, and I went to a, a meeting in Norwalk because that meeting in Downey was like a little bit too, too beautiful. The women there had the little beehives and the little beautiful jewelry. And I already told you what I look like. And I'm thinking I don't belong here. And so the following Tuesday, I went down the street. It's only five minutes from Downey, Norwalk, but I found a, a meeting that's full of bikers. And you guys look a little tatted down little crusty, a little dirty, you know what I mean? And I sat there for a minute and the guy that was your treasurer came to the podium and said that he had gone to prison by his own admission. And I thought, man, you people are some kind of stupid. <laughs> you got the guy that's telling you he went to prison, you know, you're giving him your money, right? Okay, and so I sat there and you guys were keeping my brother sober. I'm thinking I'm going to come and do something altruistic for you people. I'm going to come and help you guys out, right? And, and this is how God worked in my life. I'm detoxing. I'm detoxing badly because I am sweating nightly. I have the nightmares. I have the constant fear that didn't leave me 24-7. And I didn't know what to say because I didn't know that I was detoxing. I didn't know that if I stopped drinking and using drugs abruptly that I was going to be sick. I didn't know that, you know, and I didn't go to the rehab. I didn't go anywhere. And I remember getting a hold of the prayer of just for today. And that prayer helped me to detox. Uh, my sister thought I was having gas and weight problems. And she gave me my Lanta for the first 90 days. It works. It really does. <laughs> um, you know, if I if I had coffee, I was sick. If I smoked cigarettes, I was sick. I mean, everything was, I, I was just sick. And then I was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And I would be rushed to the ER and I sit there for 15 minutes and then I'd come down and then I was okay, you know? And, and then I did that, you know, day in and day out. And that's how I kept coming back to AA. The only good thing I didn't do newcomer was that I didn't drink in between that meeting. I didn't drink or use anything that affected me from the neck up. And that's the only thing that I did that was good. I didn't get a sponsor right away because my case is different than yours. You know, I, I am not like you guys. I love hearing your horror stories. I'm going to take my sweater off because it's getting a little hot. Don't get too excited, okay? <laughs> 
And so <laughs> take it off. <laughs> All right, see, see what you started? All 15 of you? Um yes, yes, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you you're gonna mute? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's only me here. Um and so what happened, you guys, is that I made it to that meeting and I stayed sober. I didn't drink in between that meeting and um and I didn't I I didn't really relate with all of you guys with all your horror stories because remember that my head is telling me that I'm not like you. I didn't go to jails, I didn't go to institutions. I thought my case was different, you know, and I looked at the steps and I thought one, two, and three apply to me. I like the one, two, and three. But step four, I don't really have a lot for the inventory because everything that I just told you guys, I didn't come knowing. Remember, I, I am, because I was in a state of delusion, I didn't know my own truth. And to, to speak my own truth takes a while here. I am a liar like that. You know, and I am not telling you exactly how I feel and where I am in life ever. And so that takes a while here in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's totally okay. You know, it's okay to be in the room and not believe in God. I know we talk a lot about God. Everybody that comes to the podium, it's all about God. But you know what? If you don't believe in God, you don't have to. You know, when I was new, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. It was just that the kind of God that I grew up with, was it, it wasn't the kind of God that I wanted to go back to, you know, you guys talked about God. And so what I did, what I was told to do was that wherever the word God was written to use AA, you know, to cross it off and use AA, you know, and, and that was kind of easier for me to swallow, to use Alcoholics Anonymous as my higher power, you know, being that you guys were helping me stay sober one day at a time. And I kept coming back to that uh, Tuesday night meeting. And I love old timers in meetings because you guys allowed me to make coffee for you right away. And that only reiterated that you needed me. And so I made the best coffee and I'm thinking, you know, you're keeping my brother sober of you poor people. I'm going to make coffee for you, you know, around three months of being dry. You know, that old timer gave me a, a commitment for the trip for the secretary. And I intuitively knew you wanted me to audit the guy that was still your treasurer. <laughs> I figure you found out I was a bookkeeper. That's what you wanted me to do. And so, and I did, I recounted the tickets, the receipts. I looked around the basket, you know, I was keeping an eye out. I'm thinking you got my brother. I got your back. You know, this is, I was still there, you know, and it took a while. I was nine months dry in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is important for you to be here. We're not going to go knocking on your doors. I was in the meeting and I was sober. I was nine months when somebody came and shared a chunk of my story. And she shared about embezzling money. And I had never told a soul about embezzling money because my mom did not raise me to be a thief. And uh, this lady said that she had embezzled money and, and that was my moment of clarity in the room of Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember stealing $7,000 from an old employer of mine. And I know the amount because I filed taxes on it. Please don't judge me. <laughs> and, uh, and I sat there and, and my stomach turned because it was a chunk of my story and everything that I just shared with you guys in a general way came back at me. Like that was the first truth that I heard. And, and it was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, you. oh my God, you know, like all that knowledge of who I was. And I didn't have a sponsor and I didn't have a fellowship. After the prayer, I was out of here, you know, and, and 
And so that was a scary moment because I didn't know what to do. And God has a funny way of showing up. And he disguised himself as a cute guy. And, and this cute guy invited me to go play volleyball at the speaker meeting. I've never been to a speaker meeting. You know, I, I only go to participation meetings. You know, we talk about feelings and flat tires. And so the, we, we, I went to this, we went to the speaker meeting down the street. And by this time, I lost my bloat. I'm wearing my little hot short shorts, my little tube top. My neck is out. I'm ready to go play volleyball. Do you know what I mean? And uh, once in a while, I throw cookies at you guys to make you believe, you know, that I was a member, you know. And and uh, and I sat there minding my own business, you know. I just wanted to play ball. And and uh, she appeared one night. It was raining. She was old. She must have been around 60 years old at the time. And uh, my age, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, she appeared and she came and shared with us, you know, and she shared from the podium that all she aimed in life was to be of maximum service to God and the fellows about her. And I and I heard that. And, and then she said the third step prayer from the podium and the seven step prayer from the podium. At the end of her talk, she recited the poem by the touch of the master's hand. And and I remember running to her and I just wanted to just, you know, touch her, you know, and I gave her my number and I wasn't going to ask her for her number because I probably would have never called her and I gave her a little spiel I normally don't do this I don't give my number out ever like I was asking her out you know what I mean it was like <laughs> and God bless her heart you know Betty Garcia called me the next day and it was a Friday and she invited me to her home group the Saturday morning meeting at the Torrance Lomina Alano Club and I went and I was sitting with uh, Betty the following Saturday morning next to her and my life has never been the same since that lady changed my life. She gave me a foundation, the foundation that I stand upon today. I believe that you get whoever you get here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe that everybody has the little people, the little places and, and things and the fellowship about them that you need when you need them. I would have never gone through the steps the way she took me through the steps with any of my other sponsors that I've had. This lady made me, made me. She asked me, first of all, if I've ever taken an inventory. She gave me a commitment the first Saturday I was there. I tried to tell her, no, I live in Downey. This is Torrance, too long, too far away. She laughed out loud and gave me the keys. <laughs> and I came back instead of like, you know, taking the keys and don't come back. Leave the keys. Say, you know, F you, lady, you know, I, whatever, you know. I, I came back, you know, commitments. Newcomers, commitments. Take commitments. Um. That kept me coming back. And so I came back and the following Saturday, she asked me if I've ever taken an inventory. I said, no. And she lit up. She got so excited, took me down to the bench down the street and started reading the big book out loud to me, out loud. Like, like I used to think this lady must think I can't read. And then she'd say things like selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all your troubles. And she'd stare at me for 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm like, who the hell reads like that? You know what I mean? Like, I just thought this lady was nuts, you know? And I wasn't saying anything. I just kept coming back. I went along with it, you know? And I gave her my fifth step facing that, that wall of that Alano club. And, and then that took a long time. Don't, don't think that I did my inventory in a week, okay? I was scared to death, especially because I had things like the money embezzlement, you know? And I thought I'm going to go to the bank. I put my fourth step in there and you know, just in the trunk and locked up and don't leave it at home. I mean, it was crazy. I was nuts. And, but I did it. I write, I wrote it and I gave it to her. She told me what to do with the six and seven step. And, 
The following Saturday, she said, you know, we need to write a list of people that you've harmed, that you think that you owe amends to, that you think you owe amends to. I wrote a list. I brought it to her. She says, where is that guy that, that you embezzled money from? I said, what do you mean? This lady assumed that I was going to like go make amends to my ex-employer. And I'm over two years sober. I'm walking on water here. You know, I'm not going to go to jail, you know, and I, you know, ran back to my downy meeting and I said to the old timers, can you believe this lady wants me to go do this? And, and, you know, and I went to a lot of people, you know, and nobody told me don't do it. Nobody said, you know, hey, that's too extreme. We don't do that. You know, everybody said you, you need to start trusting somebody and a sponsor is a good way to begin. And then another thing that Betty did, my sponsor, she opened up the book and said, if you're willing to go to any lengths to stay sober. Sometimes we have to face jail. I mean, it's in the book. I don't like it when sponsors like go to the book and they're like, tell you stuff. You know, it's like, it's right there, you know? And, um, and, and, and you know, I didn't like that either, you know? So I made a promise to God that, you know, if, if he didn't make me make this amends, I was going to go feed the homeless for a year. And I got all my nieces and nephews in the car and we made hot dogs and burgers, went to Fifth and Union and started distributing hot dogs and burgers, you know, because I don't want to make go make this amends, you know. And by this time, Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a real job that, that I take a real lunch at. And in one of those lunch breaks, I opened up the other big book that I like reading once in a while. And it opened up to the page where it says, before you come to my altar, make sure your debts are paid. And I was screwed got it you know and and i did a, i had a payment plan and a down payment for for my employer and um, my sponsor called me i finally set the date and she called me she says we're in prayer my sister came out of from the room that day you know ramona you know she passed away with cancer one of my favorite sisters in the world and um she said you know i i, I don't know exactly what you're doing today she says i know it's very important i just wanted to let you know that i'm with you you know and, and I had that kind of family where, where I felt supported, you know. They didn't know the extent of where my bottom was. They don't know that I embezzled money, but they know that I've done some, you know what I mean? And, and I felt the support and I felt the love and I felt the love of my sponsor. And I went off and I faced this man across, across a table, you know, at Foxy's in Downey. And, uh, you know, and I tell him that I that I stole money from him, you know, I tell him the amount and he's all shocked. He's looking at me like I have two heads. And uh, and then I take out three hundred and fifty dollars down payment and, and I tell him that I have a payment plan, you know, that, that I don't have all the money, but that I intend to pay it. And he looks at me and he says, I can't take your money. You out of anybody knows how many times my kids have broken into my own home to steal from me and they've never told me the truth. You out of anybody knows how many times my wife has been missing in action and she's never said anything to me. If you don't mind, we'll work something out in the form of work. And if you don't mind, I'd like a book for my wife, you know, and, and I was able to give him a big book for his wife. And I was able to walk into the same office, same computer system to close out his books the following two years on my time off, you know, and, and this is the action that I took to try to repay a debt but to also put myself back together. You know, we, we remember that when I come to you, I'm nothing. We lack every single thing of self, self-worth, self-confidence. We don't have anything. I didn't have anything when I came to you. I'm, maybe I, I thought that I did or that I wanted you to know that I did, you know, that false pride, that ego, you know, I got this, I don't need your help, you know, but, but I was defeated. I was a nothing, you know, the hole in the donut. And, Actions like that one allowed me to put a little chunk of myself back. And uh, and I was able to do that. I also flew to Florida to make amends to a niece that I had harmed when she was little. 
And uh, this one didn't go so well. She said, you know, I don't care what you've done, you know, get out, you know, you and you're sober, you know, I don't care. And, uh, and at the end of each amends, my sponsor asked me to ask them if I have left anything out. And she went to town with me. You know, I didn't remember it. I didn't write it on my inventory, but when she said it, I knew it was true. And so, you know, what happened was that I came home and once in a while she'd send hate emails. And I don't know what to do with hate emails. I'd forward it to my sponsor, let her deal with it. You know, it was her idea anyway. You know, it's like, you know. But then she would say things like, you know, uh, just reply, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Know that I love you anyway, you know, and, and thank God for sponsorship because what I would have done is send her a virus. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's how I deal with you. You know, I don't know how to communicate with you. You know, you know, you don't like something of me. I delete you from my life, delete yeah. you from my phone. I love that delete function. You know, it's, <laughs> well, I'm not going to sit with you and talk about stuff. You know what I mean? But I did whatever my sponsor, you know, asked me to do. And I send her this email back. And I also did living amends with her. I send her the birthday cards and the birthday gifts and the gifts for her little kids and the, you know, Christmas cards and all of that. And I followed up. And every time I take a year in Alcoholics Anonymous, I always send a little letter, you know, letting people know where I at, where I've been for the years past. And sometimes that letter would come back unopened and sometimes you know, I would have knew that she moved and she didn't give me her address and I would send this to her mom, you know, and but I continued, you know, I persisted, you know, in those living amends, letting people know where I am because I am responsible today, you know. And so about 15 years ago, Jackie called me and, you know, I thought the hate was going to come, you know, and she says, you know, I wanted to call you because I wanted to let you know that I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous with nine months and I wanted to call you and make amends. You know, and, and, you know, she says, one of the things that I have most importantly to tell you is that I want to thank you because all these years I've known where you're at and I know that you've been sober, you know, and I just want to thank you for always being in my life. You know, and Jackie didn't get to stay sober. She lost her kids with the DUIs and stuff. But, you know, she today she is 11 years sober and we have uh, a daily relationship, you know, together. We talk every Friday morning. She lives in Georgia. And, um, you know, there's, I have family that are warped, you know, and there's some wrongs that I can never write, you know, and I, and I thank Alcoholics Anonymous for giving me an opportunity to at least talk about things. You know, I am no longer a secret in my family. My family knows where they can reach me all the time. You know, it's not some of my family members I don't want to be friends with, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want them in my circle but they certainly know where I am. And if they ever need anything, they know where they can come. And I'm always open. I don't check who's calling on my phone. I always pick up my phone. And this is what you guys have given me. You guys gave my mom her last 15 years of life, the best years of her life. You know what? We celebrated my mom every year for her birthday, for her last 15 after a scare of cancer that she had and we thought she was going to die. And every year she wanted another party bigger than the last, you know, and, <laughs> and she milked that one. She milked it. But my mom died a happy mom, you know, because she had her little girl back. If my mom said, you know, wear a sweater in the middle of summer, I wear the goddamn sweater. You know what I mean? I, I just stopped fighting her. You know, I stopped fighting people. And and I just, Alcoholics Anonymous has made me this, this person that I am today. I've been married for over 25 years to the man of my life. And that, you know, he doesn't need to be in the room to let him know how loyal and faithful you know, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. He's a sober member of AA, and I just wouldn't have it any other way, you know. And I love my life, and it's because 
all that I do in AA, you know, AA, just coming to meetings and sitting down, that's not it. That's not AA. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is walking another person through the 12 steps and seeing that light come in. It's just teaching the newcomers about the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, teaching each other this, how to live sober. This is what this is all about. I'm going to continue to keep coming back. Thank you for the 12 step that you play on me today. Thank you.